Understanding though, is the understanding of mana wahine. Uh, mana wahine under the under the Kuruwai of Mareikura. Because I think we've you know with colonization we've gone away from that understanding, and when now wahine suffer, the world suffers, eh? and and it's simply because we've gone away from that understanding of the mana that our wahine carry. Eh? We've gone completely away from that. And that's one of the tracks that we need to, that's one of the pathways that we need to establish first. Eh? To begin respecting the nurturers of our future, eh? the first teachers of our future, of our children. That has to be re-established, that understanding has to be re-established before we can even look at anything else. Eh? Uh, again, we can't come back again to the wahine. Eh? You know, when, when, when a child is born, you know, it's one of the most sacred moments of this planet. The birth of a child is the assurance of our future, eh? right there. And yet we've, we've torn our, ourselves, and our, when the umbilical cord is, is sliced, is cut, the, the pitor connects with Lani and Mother Earth. Eh? So we've, we've got to get back to that imagery that the moment we stop suckling from the breast of our mother, we suckle at the breast of Papa Tuanuku. Eh? So we've got to get back into that psychology. That was Tohunga Whakairo to Warahi Heteraka, nō Ngāti Wai. As Māori, we hold clear beliefs about the status and sanctity of women. To Warahi's Whakairo led me to reflect. How might our cultural attitudes towards women inform and direct the relationships that we have with our environment? And what then might be the role of wahine Māori in shaping those environments? Tēnā koutou katoa. No mai haere mai ki te Indigenous Urbanism. Aotearoa edition, episode 24. I'm your host Jay Kake and this is Indigenous Urbanism. Stories about the spaces we inhabit and the community drivers and practitioners who are shaping those environments and decolonizing through design. On this episode of Indigenous Urbanism, we examine the role of Māori women in shaping our physical environments. We speak with two young Wahine Māori practitioners, Elizabeth Zaheta, an architectural graduate from Ngāti Wai, and Hayley Hooper, an urban designer from Ngāti Ho about the thorny question of diversity within our professions. Both Alyssa Peter and Haley have featured on previous episodes on this season of Indigenous Urbanism, so do check those out. My first guest for this episode is Alyssa Peter Heta. Alyssa Peter is previous co-chair of Architecture Women and the current Ngā'aho representative to the NZIA board, a role that was established through the Kawenata. There are very few Māori women in architecture and even fewer Māori women who are registered architects. I asked Alyssa Peter, why are the numbers so low? 
Why is it important to increase diversity across our industry and how do we get there? From a representational point of view, um, which is something you touched on slightly, yeah, well, I don't know that I have an easy answer around why there aren't many Māori in the profession. I can hazard a guess, and it's kind of partly based on, I suppose, anecdotal um, evidence, based on what I can see and observe myself, and partly through university as well, like the, the sorts of um, conversations I was having while I was a tour kind of mentor at University of Auckland. So it seems like, um, and you can see this in some of the Pacific kind of communities, the arts is, or hasn't necessarily historically been seen as a viable um, place to go. If you're going for higher education, you want to get thrown into law and business and medicine and all the things that are seen as kind of quite tangibly good careers. Architecture is a bit of an unknown. It's sort of seen as a little bit creative. Some can see it as having links to engineering, but I think it's a little bit of an anomaly to our communities in some, to some degree. Also, I think it's something we just do inherently, all as humans, not just Māori and Pacifica, but all as humans, you know, having housing is so fundamental to our ability to live. It baffles me as well, you know, to some degree. It's like, it's not necessarily seen as a career path, but it's so important to our sovereignty. So part of it might be just the way the profession is communicated so that it can be understood and be seen as relevant, which it obviously is. Yes, and to not speak on behalf of anybody else but myself, it wasn't until I started university that I saw how much the profession looked nothing like me and in no way represented my life, where I came from and where I quite naively at the time but probably ambitiously thought I was heading and that was always to be more helpful to my community but I suppose the, on first glance the profession has never presented itself as that. I realised it just took me having to carve that out for myself. That's a little bit of blood, sweat and tears kind of thing. So we, we do have low numbers and then the same, a lot of the similar issues around access, um, inclusivity, visibility, unconscious bias, all of those kinds of things can be barriers towards long careers of Māori and, and Pacifica peoples in um, the industry. We already know when you look at stats around wahine kind of staying in the profession. For architecture, we're really lucky. We, we have a good 50-50 kind of output of men and women, more or less, but we're still not necessarily retaining them sort of in the 10 years on position, and that's when the wage gap tends to appear. I haven't come across necessarily any good statistics that talk about the wage gap in relation to Māori within architecture, partly because I don't um, the numbers are probably so low that it'd be fairly pointed, I suppose, study that would look at a very direct group of people. Yeah, so you'd almost find out exactly what we were all earning, which may or may not be useful. The ethical uh, problem. Uh, yeah, that would present, I mean, it's, it's totally different looking. It's looking at stats in different ways and there's all sorts of ways you can slice it. You know, if you look at the general trajectory of average wage, wage gaps or pay gaps amongst Māori and Pacific and men and women, which are traditionally actually Pākehā men and Pākehā women in New Zealand as a whole. We already know that Māori women earn much less than Pākehā women and Pacifica women earn less again. Maybe we can extrapolate those numbers, I don't know. 
So I, I think you touched on the fact that we maybe don't have a complete picture of the problem, mm -hmm. but we do have a pretty reasonable yep. idea. So my question would be what, I mean, what can we do about that moving forward, knowing how complex it is, but what are some ways we can move forward? I think about that a lot. <laughs> I think there are a couple of potentially deceptively Symbols not really fair, but there are a couple of things we can do. As Māori, just thinking about Māori Pacifica, and I just talk about that, I guess, because for myself I am Māori and Pacifica, so not trying to lump them all in as one. <laughs> if anybody's listening to this and kind of going, what the? So not lumping us into one, but this is my personal experience. I think we need to put our hands up more for being involved. What I mean by that is... Um, getting on boards or speaking up in meetings, it can be that simple. Actually getting involved in your community, kind of putting yourself out there to maybe be a judge on something or to be a organised social events in your office or speak on particular topics or issues. And I guess what I mean by that is create visibility of yourself and of other Māori and Pacific practitioners. And why that's important is that it helps maybe the practitioners that are standing beside them or around them to recognise um, the value of them, um, to recognise the, the value that Māori and Pacific points of views have. And also really critically important is for generations coming through to actually be able to look to somebody. And that is, is really crucial. And I suppose I have benefited from that through being involved in Architecture Women, um, where our entire sort of philosophy is, has been built on the idea of visibility and inclusivity. And the visibility part is literally just kind of social media and newsletters and all those things that kind of go, hey, these are people doing good things. But that, that can only really happen because those good people doing good things are putting them, their hands up to do stuff. Not saying be a chronic overachiever, cough, cough, myself and yourself, Jade. <laughs> but there are ways of speaking up slightly beyond what may be comfortable to just push a little bit. Because I think in order for true change to happen, we all need to be pushing a little bit further. I think there needs to be a serious, very serious recognition of unconscious bias and what that does. Both from the wahine tane perspective, so we get instances in which, say, men don't realise that they have an unconscious bias to ask the male in the room a question over the female in the room. That's not necessarily there's something, something that they're doing out of malice, but it's actually something that they're doing unconsciously because it's a bias they have internally. That exists Oh, and that's, that's one of those big barriers we see for women in the practice. That exists again as another layer for Māori Pacific. So everybody needs to get better at understanding what their unconscious biases are, pushing their practices, I think, to get more savvy around that. And I really think that people who um, are running businesses, who are directors, who are principals, actually need to just front up to, and be honest with themselves. <laughs> about what it is they are and are not doing as practices. And I'm seeing that with some practices, they are definitely making changes. And um, you can see the difference between those who are being honest and truly self-aware and those who are not. Something I've been thinking about just personally is that because the numbers of registered Māori architects are so low, and particularly Māori women, I'm like, 
I always thought I didn't really have time to do this. There's so many things I need to do. And now I'm like, I don't think I can afford not to. Mm. And I'm kind of like, I think we find ways to be really active in these spaces without being registered architects. I'm also aware that changing our profession, well, you, you do have to be in it. So I don't know, do you have any thoughts on the registration thing? The registration thing. Dun, dun, dun. At its base, getting registered is not for me about the congratulations you are an architect, you can architect things. It's not necessarily about that sign off so much as it is about me knowing for myself that I have had the experience in architectural practice to understand the breadth and depth needed to be registered. And what that means is, is a commitment from my employer and a commitment from myself to be on projects that allow me to see that whole process through. The reason why that's important, I think, from a Māori community point of view, from a I suppose having more architects who are Māori with, you know, there present, is that, you know what, it's a really important skill set and it's a skill set our communities need. We're all, I noticed a lot of us are all quite good at talking, cough, cough, <laughs> again, me and you. Seriously, like, you know, I, I don't know if it's just Marae life training or something, but you, we're all quite used to having to, to, to talk things through, to narrate, narrate a story, to, to um, I mean, you know, that's the way we grow up. We grow up listening to stories, so we grow up thinking that the way we speak to each other is through stories. Talking is like Māori 101. We can talk till we're blue in the face, but the, the deeper you get into a project, which is what I'm finding as a, you know, I feel like a baby graduate architect, but nevertheless, the deeper into a project I get, the more I realise that my talking up the front end just gets better, gets clearer. My understanding of how I can speak to our whānau, to our communities, to the council, to the government, actually, about Māori ideas actually translating into real outcomes gets better. Because I know that if I'm saying blah blah blah, tuku tuku panel needs to be, needs to show up in this precast panel, I actually now know what it takes to get it on site. Because I've said the words, then I've drawn the drawings, then I've detailed the drawings, then I've looked at how that detail does or does not work. And then we've kind of maybe value managed some of that out, or maybe we haven't. And then we're talking about how we get on site, ra 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 ra. It's literally, for me, just seeing that process through so that I know that when I come back to those stories again at the beginning, my, um, I'm not promising the sky and can't give it. I also think we deserve much better design outcomes. I think um, for a long time, due to, you know, all the things we know, AKA colonization, that we're just being in survival mode and survival mode doesn't look pretty, and I think we deserve better than that. And our communities deserve better than yeah, that. Yeah, way better than that. Our marae can be amazing. Our papakainga can be beautiful. We don't have to live in subpar housing, you know. Architects are literally trained for that. We're trained for that design problem. We're trained for the pragmatics, for the logistical stuff. We're trained to be the creators. We have the skill set. So, yeah, our communities need it. I, I've reached that point too, right, where I'm starting to see the boundaries of my current skill set and my competencies and I'm like, I just need to be better. I need to, my communities deserve better. I need to 
have that level of skill so that I can serve my communities better. All I would say is our impatience, <laughs> mine and yours and, and many others, many others, are legitimate, but also just there because we, we can see the urgency is one thing. There is, there is a bubble at the moment. There's this huge wave that's coming from, from kind of all directions and we're responding to it. And what I mean by that is, you know, living in Auckland, we've got 19 iwi around the general Auckland region and 13 in the Tāmaki Collective who are all putting their foot down and saying, you know, public projects in this city are going to involve us. And so that means that the people on the other side of the table, which is the side of the table the architects sit on, need to know how to communicate that information. So there's another demand. The council are putting it into their briefs, into their RFPs, into their things. The government are thinking about it. You know, we have a kawenata. Pressure's kind of coming from everywhere. And I think we're responding to that. And also, it's exciting. And also, we're ambitious. And we're ambitious because we're being given tools to be ambitious and finally, I think living through the potential that probably our parents had but didn't necessarily have anybody there or any way, mechanisms in which to break those barriers down. So they just had us, the crazy ones. My mum, you know, she quit school when she was 15 because she didn't have a baby. Yeah. When I was growing up, she always read to me when I was really young. She was always really big on education and she always supported me on anything I wanted to pursue or was interested in. My mum is exactly the same. Mum did fifth form twice and didn't quite make it to the end of that and for many reasons in her life left Aotearoa. So she hadn't technically finished high school. She went back to school as an adult at 24 because she really wanted to be a librarian. So she really saw the value in knowledge, yeah. Mum had a lot of barriers in life, really, really big barriers. And education wasn't really seen as valuable in her house. She just needed to get a job, you know, just get a job and work. And that was fine. But mum knew that for me, you know, she read to me insistently. She made sure that if, even if it meant, and often it literally meant working four to five jobs to make sure that there were opportunities to do you know, singing lessons and drama lessons and, you know, my brothers could get support with maths and English or whatever. Education was important and to the best of her damn ability, she fought really hard to make sure that I had what I needed and she never had anybody fight for her like that. So when I say I do these things for my whanau, I, I mean it very literally, and I know that for my nieces and nephews and hopefully one day for my own tamariki, every little interview, every little job we do, every person we've taught to say things correctly in te reo, um, makes a really big difference to their lives. <laughs> I really loved that. Big mahi to our mums. Yeah, massive mahi to our mums. <laughs> I also asked Hayley Hooper, no Ngāti Ho, for her whakaro on this issue. So why does representation matter from both the diversity and treaty perspective? I think it's a very important question to ask and I think the fact that we don't have a lot of Māori women or Māori in urban design or in, even in architecture, like it's getting better but there's still limited numbers. Definitely, we definitely have a need to grow our rangatahi into those spaces. So I think 
from my point of view, when I think about being Māori in the design space, or, or myself in the design space, I think sometimes it has been an uncomfortable environment, and sometimes it is, it's difficult, the processes that you go through, and it, it's an identity search as well of like, how are you fitting into these places, and how are these places representing themselves, and you're trying to establish what your ideas are in a kaupapa Māori way sometimes and then in a Pākehā way and then in a development orientated way and you're always negotiating a multiplicity of influences and still trying to figure out where you stand in that as a young designer. So I think it, I, as much as I love design and the position of urban design as a role and as a Māori woman, I don't think it's always been a comfortable space to be in <laughs> specifically and I'm not sure how I feel about that or how, how to make that better. I think the thing is it's all about education and awareness and, and things growing and, and us getting stronger in that space as well. It's a very male-dominated industry as we all know and it's male power heavy too so yes there are a lot more women in the industry but as you get up to the top and the more important the projects seem to be there is still a really lack, there's a really strong lack of women in those places and Māori women you very you very rarely see them and when you do see them you have huge admiration for them being there and there are some very strong Māori women working in the space but I'd love to see more coming through. There's certain norms and behaviours and cliques and types of things that exist in our industry that you're getting to know as a young designer and then at the same time you're trying to figure out how you fit into them and they relate to things like you know what's the company's values or what's the project's values, the priorities, the perceptions of people, different hierarchies that you're working inside of and those structures and establishments and then I think when you add the kaupapa Māori side to it and then you try to figure out how that all works in together you could say it's contrasting and then sometimes it's in conflict with and I think it's just how those things come together it, sometimes it works great and other times it, it doesn't and you, it's just a process of evolution and that you're trying to grow and understand yourself and your identity in that space without conforming to the norm all the time and then if you don't conform to the norm, where does that leave you and, and what, what is your voice? And I think sometimes on the inside, I'll be sitting in a room and I could possibly be thinking a completely other thing to the way that it's been presented. And then it's like, well, what do you do then? Um, something I really struggled with was, um, I mean, I think I have the strength of my convictions now through experience, mm. but I felt the same things quite strongly, you know, six years ago, 10 years ago, yeah. but I didn't have the confidence to voice those because I didn't have the experience. It just felt like an intuitive thing. Yes. And yeah. so you kind of go into these space and you're like, that doesn't seem right, but yeah, well, I don't know enough to yes. know that I'm correct in that. Yeah. Um, which can be a really tricky place because you feel like you're learning, but then somehow you still have to be, you have to be an advocate and it's, a, it's kind of a lot. Yeah, well, I think you're really in the flux of learning and you're right and you can sometimes be right in the front face of something and yeah, you, you've got an idea and you're like, should I say it? Do I say it? How do I say it? Is it appropriate? How's it going to be received? Is this even the right space or place to say this thing? <laughs> and how are these people going to, to take it on and will it make a difference? But I think at the end of the day, if you've got an opinion that's strong and true, you should always try to make it heard. From my personal point of view, I'm probably still working on making that happen. <laughs> but I hope that when it's very necessary that I do have the confidence to say it. This episode of Indigenous Urbanism has been supported by the Diversity Agenda an initiative aimed at driving change within New Zealand's architecture and engineering industries. Dedicated to improving diversity and inclusion across the board, the Diversity Agenda's overarching goal is getting 20% more women 
into engineering and architecture roles by 2021. The Diversity Agenda started as a collaboration between industry bodies Engineering New Zealand, the New Zealand Institute of Architects and the Association of Consulting Engineers and more than 75 firms have come on board since its launch. To find out more about the Diversity Agenda, please visit diversityagenda.org. Indigenous Urbanism is a production of Tamatapihi. Sandy Wakefield does our sound recording, editing and mixing. Our theme was composed by Thomas Burton. I'm Jay Kake, your host and executive producer. For more information about today's show and other episodes of Indigenous Urbanism, go to indigenousurbanism.net. You can drop us a line at info at indigenousurbanism.net. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a review or rating on iTunes. So that's it. That's a wrap. That was our last episode of the season. We're on hiatus right now, where we look forward to you joining us for more great stories on Indigenous Urbanism in 2019.